0: Today's topic from problem to payoff, what we really want to do in the webinar today is a couple things. I think one, if you're selling software, which most of the folks on this call are likely selling software, what you've probably noticed is that the last 12 months, it's probably taken longer to close deals than it did the previous year or two prior to that. 2021 and 2022 were quite the rebound for software. And now buyers are getting they're a little less app, they're a little more apprehensive, excuse me, about buying things. I mean, Gartner's got a stat, I think it's over 56% of buyers somewhere around that range of experience buyers' regret. So they regret the software purchase. You know, so people are getting really picky about purchases. Um, so it might take longer to close deals. You might find buyers wanting to do more pilots and POCs and more people ghosting you. And what we want to share with you today is a framework to help with all of that. So a couple of things as we're digging in. Um, One, if you got questions, we want to answer them, drop them into the Q&A. So if there's something specific, like think of a challenge you run into with your deals or something specific that you want to ask these two folks or myself, let us know and let's get in. So Oram, I want to thank the sponsor. We got Aaron representing Oram in the house today, but um, Oram with our sponsors were really intentional. It's it's tools that we love and use. And Oram I like, because if you're cold calling, the biggest challenge right now is getting people to pick up the phone, and they solve that problem in a couple ways. One, just more volume of calls, and then two, hot numbers. What's the average pickup rate on hot numbers there? And it's like twenty-two percent or something crazy like that. Yeah, I would I would say twenty to thirty
1: percent. It's it's actually one of those things that is a lot of fun to get a rhythm and and to build off of.
0: Yeah, it is is crazy. They have some some AI or some automation that leverages all their just huge content. I think it's over a hundred million calls that have been made through the the actual tool. And it actually routes with the hot numbers. It routes you to the prospects in your list that are most likely to pick up based on all of the data that they've aggregated. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. Go check out Orem. Um, so our speakers today. So this is kind of a full circle moment for, for Aaron Barkman. Aaron <laughs> and I met originally, he was in our coaching program last year, did really awesome in there. And uh, he's now a strategic account executive at Oram. So Aaron, it's great to have you. And just to see your your career journey, man, it's it's good to have you on. And then uh, Nate Nisrala, co-founder at Fluent. I think we got to know each other first through, there was a blog post that you're writing for the website and you reached out. I was like, oh, this guy's kind of cool. And our conversation was really all about me sharing outbound advice. And then I started following you and I'm like, this guy really knows his stuff from a sales standpoint. Like just fire content. So Nate, it's good to collaborate with you again, man. And if you guys are coming across Outbound Squad for the first time, my name is Jason Bay. I run a company called Outbound Squad. where We do sales training, coaching, all of that kind of fun stuff. So what we're going to talk about is three things. One, um, I, one of the things we're going to dig into is the list of things through the sales cycle, important milestones to cover. We'll dig into what that means here in a second. We're going to talk about prep. So what you can do prior to sales conversations to set yourself up for success. And then we're gonna give you a shit ton of tactics and strategies that you can actually put into action right after this call. So uh, let's dig in. Nate, I wanted to kick this first question your way. Like one of the common mistakes as we were brainstorming this was the difference in thinking about your sales process as a series of linear stages and steps or calls versus thinking about it in terms of milestones and things that I need to accomplish. Do you want to kind of talk a little bit more about like the difference between treating your sales process like a series of calls versus milestones and why that's important?
2: Yeah, the way I would start to frame it up is the reality of your deal sits inside of the buying organization in the behavior of the team who is making a decision not the activities that you are doing as a seller. You can do a lot of things, have a lot of calls, a lot of meetings, send out materials, and that will be a false signal as to how qualified or how quickly your deal is going to move. And so the way to think about it is a series of steps that the buyer has to take in order to make a confident decision. To your point, like we don't want people regretting the decision that they make. So what are the series of milestones behaviors that they do with their own team in order to make a confident decision. For example, um, it's less about, did you as the seller have one meeting with a lot of different people inside of it? Afterward, what were they saying? And then did they decide, hey, yes, this is actually the problem area that we want to prioritize and move up in the list of things that we want to solve for like that's going to be something that is going on inside of the buying team. Are we going to make a true project out of this versus did you get a lot of people under your demo? Those are two very different things and it can lead sellers to believe that they have something when maybe there's not that like urgency or re- like true reality of a deal that's coming together.
0: Yeah, let us know in the chat you guys Yes or no, do you ever run into situations where you think a deal is going really well because there's a lot of like early excitement and people hopping on demos and then for whatever reason, it just kind of fizzles out and, and maybe even get ghosted? Let us know in the chat, is that a situation? <laughs> we have Jamie in all caps says yes. Um. Yeah, Mark says buyers can be misleading sometimes.
2: Yeah, post
0: demo silence. Yeah, that post demo silence. So Aaron, you've made this leap up into like enterprise and strat sales, which was uh, at Oram, which was a little different than like when we first started working together, correct me if I'm wrong. It was not like super transactional, but, but it wasn't quite as complex. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think about this in terms of, like when I'm working a deal, the milestones that we need to accomplish and the things that we need to do early on to like build momentum in that deal so that we don't get ghosted after we put a bunch of work in? How do you how are you, you kind of thinking about that? What have you learned?
1: Yeah, I think like for me, and to kind of take the scenario like Native brought up, you know, did you get a meeting with a bunch of people in there? For me, it's what takes place to close out that meeting. We obviously want to get a next step. We want to make sure that that's in alignment, that's agreed to because we've given value. We've given, we've generated excitement and we want to continue that momentum and we don't want to leave the door open because with any any room to breathe, you know, life gets in the way, um, and we have no control, no leverage. But if you have that meeting with people, basically isolate those individuals after the fact with the thank you. How did that go? What was important to you? And try and gain further understanding, because what we need to do is we need to understand every single person in that is at different levels in the organization. They're going to have different priorities, and we want to tailor value to them so we can keep that energy going, and we can basically get deeper understanding. So for me, it's about how much I can understand About them, because then I understand how much more they need to know what value is going to be specific to them and what they can get out of it. Ideally, I want to get additional conversations with just individuals outside of the group because people act differently when they're around their superiors or they're around anyone else in their organization than when you have one on one. So that's one of those things for me that's important so I can get the full picture. But then I also need to understand I mean, we're a medic shop, so it's always good to get those things like what if if we understand their why. Can we quantify the why? Is it a priority and to what extent? So there's a lot of those things that are helpful to frame up your conversation or your your understanding of the deal overall, because it's not linear. You're going to go a bunch of different ways for a bunch of different peoples as you start to work through that. But the more that you know, the more I would say, the more you can help.
0: I mean, there's so much there. You you even dropped a a couple of really interesting tactics that we're going to get to also, which one, I think one of the biggest areas of opportunity, if you're not already doing this is I've seen this happen. A lot happens to me sometimes where the first call is with a small group of people, like three or four. And then every call is with a group of people and you never have like the one-to-one conversation with an actual champion. So you've been communicating one to many the entire time with the buying group. You don't have these one-on-one calls between. Um, we'll get to every for everyone. We'll get to some of those tactics here um, that Aaron just dropped in. Let's talk about the list. Let's just get kind of straight to it. So, I think medic is a, a great sort of qualification process. What I like about medic is it's it also gives you some like objective things that you need to kind of think about accomplishing. What we're going to focus on here right now is, like, what are the objective things that, outside of just running a discovery or intro call, then running a demo, then doing some sort of solutioning, and then doing a proposal or presentation, like, what are the things inside of those calls that we need to accomplish? Let's spend some time talking about this, you guys. So we've kind of gone back and forth on, like, what are... And by the way, there's a lot of great questions being dropped into the chat. If you guys could drop those into the Q&A, that'll kind of help filter them for me so that I can make sure that we uh, that we get to them. So we talked about the list. This would be a really good thing to write down, you guys. It's priorities, projects, problems, and stakeholders. So uh, Aaron, we'll kick this first question your way. Let's start with the stakeholders piece because you sort of just were just alluding to that. When you're thinking about the list of things that you need to accomplish through the sales cycle how do you think about that in terms of like stakeholders and people that need to be involved in the in the relationship with those folks
1: yeah i, I think for me uh, it's it's kind of a constant discovery sort of a situation because i go in with that initial hypothesis i've done some prep i have a, a general idea of of who may touch the solution that that i sell so getting into first conversations, maybe there's some people that are missing. I want to ask about them. Hey, would they are, are they missing out on the party? You think that they would find some value in this? And I want to just basically see if I'm correct or if I get corrected. And then from there, I want to kind of honor the respect that I've gained from that person. But I want to gain access to those people. Because depending on the level of change management that your solution involves, it's, it's going to increase the number of heads that are going to be involved in the overall deal. So I need to get access to those people. I need to understand, you know, what's going to be challenging for you, what's helpful for you and just to do additional discovery for each individual person. So for me, I want to chat with them if at all possible, um, because I know my overall champ, maybe it's multiple champs, what I'm selling isn't the only thing that, that's happening in their world. So I need to be able to kind of shepherd their cause and and come back with with some value some understanding for them too so it's kind of that's the way i look at it is um we need time we need understanding we need to gain access to everyone because i mean is there an eel in the deal if so i need to figure out what what they're you know what's pressing why no why not yes go ahead nate looked like you were going to say something I was
2: just, I was like smiling to myself, the eel in the deal. I hadn't heard that before and I'm like, that's a great way to say it. They just kind of slide in. You're not expecting it. And they kind of snake the deal and they take it in a different direction.
1: Yeah, Lying low under the cover of darkness, nothing but that negative gray cloud. But then all of a sudden it's pushing your timeline. But if we can get them on our side, usually that person has a lot of sway and they're looked at as kind of that filter. Like, is this worth it? or are we having second
0: thoughts? So Nate, what would you add in terms of stakeholders? Like, I think what we've talked about so far that I, I don't know, I wrote a LinkedIn post about this the other day. It was, you know, we talk about multi-threading and executive alignment and all of this other stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. It's like,
0: don't forget that you need a good champion too. You know, like all of this gets way easier when you have a couple people they can really help you like get the next meetings, they can sell internally, they can do all this stuff because they're a Slack or Teams message away from getting something done. And you're an, an outsider sending an external email to someone or cold calling them or texting them. That's just a very low percentage shot. So how do you think about the stakeholders you know, side of like, what are some of the things that we need to kind of like strategically do early on in the sales process?
2: Yeah. Well, you, you, so you were both just touching on the idea of a champion who is essentially the person that's selling when you can't be in the room. So selling is happening in two places when you're involved in a sales meeting and then during an internal meeting. And that's the definition of a champion. Um, not only that they're willing to, but they're able to, because they have the influence, the sway. So Aaron, to your point is like, if there's an eel in the deal, who is an equally influential voice who can get the conversation back on track, And what I would say by way of nuance in this is a lot of people think, okay, the higher I climb in the organization, the stronger the champion, the higher influence the champion that I'm going to be working with. And that's not always the case because influence is more of a, it's more of a dynamic social idea that doesn't track with the hierarchy. And so if you have somebody who maybe at first, you may say, ah, they're a manager level title. Like, is that truly the best champion for me to partner up with. Well, if they were recruited by a past executive because they ran a very similar project, and by the way, two roles ago, they were actually working for your competitor. So they've seen how this is done. Phenomenal champion, because they probably hold a lot of weight when they speak about this particular topic in the deal. So that's a stakeholder that you want to involve and involve early upfront within the process.
1: I can pick off of that too. I think that that's actually good for you to bring up, understanding how they got to where they're at. It's something that I leveraged in a pretty complex deal. um, This uh, actually recently was someone that was of a manager title, but she got promoted because of the CRO. So -hmm. leveraging that relationship to basically warm up the CRO to what were, what I plan to present in person in advance. So they knew what was coming. They knew how good they knew to be excited. And then I just came in and, um, you know, followed through with, with the message that was provided. So I, I think that all titles matter. Um, but the more, you know, the better for sure. Yeah.
0: Nate, you have a, I think it's three P's or something like that for a champion. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah,
2: eyes. Eyes. So one of them is influence that we were talking about. Can they change the conversation that's happening internally? The second is information that like hard to find type of deal intelligence. And then the last one is incentive. Like, is there something personal tying them to the deal? Especially as you start doing more complex deals and it's long cycles, are they going to stick with it? And so if you have two of three, you can't be a champion. For example, you may want the deal to go through incentive. You may have some intel to help information but no influence. You're a coach. You're not a champion. And then beware of the person with info and influence, but no incentive. Like they could go either way on it. That's an influencer. They're not actually a champion. Um, influencers can be neutral. Sometimes they can be detractors in the negative sense, but that's the way I think about kind of the three criteria.
0: Got it. I think that's a really big takeaway because I don't know, one of my biggest learnings in B2B sales was, you know, as our company has moved up market and selling to larger companies is like really understanding the difference between a coach and champion. And just because someone is willing to help and has a lot of the information doesn't mean they can get you like FaceTime with the people that you need to, or that they just have influence and people, you know, kind of believe in them within the org. So let's park on the stakeholders piece for a second. Um, let us know in the chat, because we want to kind of like do this AMA style, fires- fireside chat style almost, where we can kind of customize this. When you guys think of stakeholders, what are the biggest challenges in getting stakeholder involvement for you when you think about your deals? Is it engaging that economic buyer? Is it building the actual champion? Is it identifying people that need to be a part of that buying group? Let us know in the chat when it comes to stakeholders and making sure we have all of the right people involved. Where do you tend to run into the most challenges? Yeah. So we got continuous engagement, identifying the right people.
1: The chairman in all caps is funny. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: let's talk about this and this kind of fits into the prep section that we talked about, I'll kick this first question your way, Nate from a preparation standpoint, like identifying the right stakeholders. I think there's a couple parts to that. There's the research that you do in advance of even meeting with people, just like speculating and hypothesizing on who those people might be. And then there's like working with a point of contact, a coach, or it could be a champion to just kind of like validate that piece. Do you think of it like that too? Or do you think of it in a, in a different way?
2: Yeah, I do because different organizations are structured differently. So what um, might be a enablement role in one company, in another it could be like, oh, that's more like learning and development and training. They don't actually own any systems or RevOps, where in another company they could. And so there's gonna be nuance in how different roles are split and divided and teams are structured in different companies. So you need to validate that with your champion. But I would, um, I would say you could go a step further to look at it early on. Part of what you're doing is you're curating the right buying committee based on what your champion knows about how projects come about internally, number one, and then number two, um, what you've seen to be successful in structuring a commitment that actually launches, you get to the point of signed contract and then rolled out, who's gonna be involved in that piece long-term? Like you've seen that play out in your deals. So together you guys can come together and say, okay, um, of the different roles and perspectives that we need to curate the right committee, who do we have? Who do we not have? And for those that we don't have at the table, well, what's the right message or way to go about engaging them and bringing them into the conversation?
0: Yeah. So identify beforehand. And I think an exercise, if you guys haven't done this, is reverse engineer how the best deals come together. Like who is typically involved in those deals? Who tends to be a champion? Who tends to care about this stuff? Like actually sit down. I find it's kind of 50-50 in the sales teams that I work with where, you know, actually researching the account and like putting together like an account map of who you think is going to be on the buying committee. And what I always like to say is it's easier to educate or easier to correct than to educate. So if I just come into that call and say, Hey, Aaron, so who, who's going to be a part of this buying group or who else cares about this versus, Hey, I noticed Nate heads up enablement. Typically our enablement folks from a training standpoint, they're they're going to want to like be really hands-on with that content. They want to make sure it aligns with their methodology, et cetera. Like, should we get Nate involved in the next conversation? Like being able to make a recommendation and being corrected versus asking them to basically do all the work of educating you, it just, it enacts this like law of reciprocity where people are more willing to help when it sh- when you show that you put in effort. Um, but Aaron, I know you do quite a bit of this. Like, what are your thoughts on stakeholders from a research standpoint? Like, what will you typically do prior to even hopping on a first call? With a new account,
1: yeah, and I think also to your point with that, you just maybe before I get into that, it's also kind of testing your champion because if they don't know, they don't know, and that might just be an influencer or a coach, and it's someone that we need to leverage to gain access to people with with you know the three check boxes like Nate had listed. Um, but but for me, I, I think that you know th- there may be similarities, but to Nate's point, it's like we don't know if this like in my space if it's handled by marketing because the 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 transformation of marketing today is covering sales tools. For some organizations or maybe it's sales ops it's rev ops so i have again a hypothesis i've done that research i'm looking into um i'm looking at, at the org i'm making my org chart I, I have a general understanding of it but i'm also looking for depending on the organization public information as well because i mean who's my eb in the end Who who's the person that's talking about problems that they're facing that i know that i solve and then we'll we'll, we'll look at things from top down so i think you can go in with an educated guess, but showing that you put in some work helps them to understand, you know what, they might actually know or be who they say they are. Let's let's collaborate. Kind of their first te- uh, test of you as well. Like, is this person worth working with? Can they help me get to where I need to go? And then from there, you guys meet in the middle and you, you start to craft that narrative.
0: So I think there's, again, two big parts to this because Susan's asking how do you get orchard info? It's you guessing is the first way. <laughs> so so based on the organization, you're taking your best guess prior to hopping on a call, and then it's building a strong champion that can help you like validate that hypothesis. So that's that's the next part that I really want to get into. So let me share my screen again. Um, We've kind of hit on stakeholders. There's a bunch of great questions in the Q&A. And by the way, uh, you guys, feel free to upvote the questions that you want to get answered the most in the Q&A. Um, Let's talk about priorities and projects. They're they're sort of similar, but different. Um, when we think about org-wide priorities, I think there's a couple things here. I, I think common practice is to ask about them. And what happens in re- the reality in most situations is that you don't really get good answers when you ask for them. I think there's a, a right way to, or a way, many ways that you can ask for them to get people talking about it. And I think that you're also going to find that the person you're talking to might not even know what the priorities are either. And and what do you do in that situation? So let's talk about that a bit. So, uh, Aaron, I'll kick this question your way. For priorities, why is this important to align with some of those exact priorities? And how do you go about, like, finding out what those are? And I know it would sound super straightforward because we sell to the same. All three of us actually sell to similar types of personas, but it's not so straightforward usually, even with sales leaders, like what the organization's priorities are. But how do you think about that part, Aaron, in, in aligning to those priorities and finding out what they are?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's any in information that you find is it a job post, is it like a quarterly earnings report? Is there some stuff along those lines again to kind of stack on the side on my notes that i you know maybe that's that's what's coming into play but also when you start off your initial call um i mean just hey anytime that someone's looking at something like this they're either looking to accomplish x y or z is that the reason why you took this call right like give them an easy give them a layup to to usher in the conversation and if it's not one of those three then that fourth item is what we want to frame value around and then you can also just ask like i mean i I, you, you had a great post about this too it's like what are they talking about you know, your executive leadership, or if you're speaking to, um, to someone that's in the C-suite, like, I mean, what, what's priority right now? 2024, saw this, you know, what's top of mind? What are we looking to accomplish? I think having a general understanding, but also making a direct ask, depending on what level you're at, hey, what's your boss talking about? Okay, why is that important to them? Why are they not able to get over that sort of a thing? Yeah, what are you hearing
0: about in meetings? What are your executives speaking about, et cetera? Nate, you got some good questions too that you like to use to ask around this type of thing.
2: Yeah, you can kind of build on that. And I'll give you an example of a recent deal that we did when my champion and I were working on developing our business case. Um, I'm big on not just what people say, but what they can show, because then you can really get a deep understanding of, is this truly the priority for you or for the business that other people also agree on? And so in working with the head of sales, we pulled up their board deck. What was going to go out to board members as the major priorities for the year And there were three different pieces of it, like for example, number one, protect our cash position. It's like, okay. And then I could just ask, in what way do you see the project that we're working on together tying into this piece on protecting cash? And then we talk about it, what's standing in the way? How can we address that together? And we just went one by one and we tied directly into okay, each of these three major points, it's going to go to the board. How do we further that and remove a blocker that is currently in the way? And again, that like visual of, I can see the slide that is going to the board, what you're looking for is evidence of like, okay, that's exactly it. And oftentimes how you phrase a question can get you closer to, even if you don't have the visual cue of like, aha, we're there, can get you a more true response. Meaning, for example, instead of saying, hey, what's... um What's like important to your boss right now, you could say, hey, what is your boss prioritizing ahead of this that we're going to have to need to take a back seat to? And then you begin to see, okay, in the like pecking order, order of standing, and you've invited them to say, I know there's probably some more important stuff going on. Like it's, our, it's all right. Just let me know where are we at. Then you'll probably get a more true response. But if they're like, no, surely this is like the thing, like we are dedicating meetings to it. It's number one. You're like, okay, great. Like, I, I trust I found good signal there a little bit more.
0: Yeah. I've always called that or, or heard it called a negative reversal, where you ask a question basically assuming that the answer is going to be that your solution is not a priority, that this conversation is not a priority. Yeah. you know, yeah. and you're assuming that something else takes a higher priority and it's just easier to answer that question with less right. friction. Um, That's interesting. So that question again was Something along the lines of you know what is so and so prioritizing that this our project that we're talking about might take a backseat to.
2: Yeah, and you could even put that back into like the visual context of hey, um, if real quick you pull up a calendar invite for the next team meeting, and if you go look at that agenda right now, what's on that agenda that's ahead of the project we're talking about, and so you've like you you've put them in the context of and they can start to in their own mind visualize okay this meeting. Yeah. Okay. One is this, two is this. We're like fourth on the list.
0: Yeah. That's such a great pro tip is like asking them to look at an agenda or a board deck, like something really concrete that has some of this stuff written out. Um, Let's talk about language too. I'll just kind of open this up to both of you. How important is it to, when we're talking about priorities, to like literally capture the words and phrases that they use and then how would might we use something like that?
2: You want to hey, go for I, it?
1: Aaron? I know this is your play. Take it, take it, and I'll, I'll follow up.
2: So I'm I'm a I'm a big fan and advocate for finding what I'll call either a trigger phrase because it triggers in the mind of the executive, like, oh, okay, they know me. They know what's important, what I'm already prioritizing and telling my team to invest in. Um, so phrases, language that fits, like one of my all-time favorites is the most memorable. So when we were working on a deal with SendGrid, their CEO, Jim, would just say, make the mail move, make the mail move. Like that was his thing. They're in the email business, right? And so you had to explicitly talk about how you were going to help make the mail move. Um, not every like exec has things that are as witty, but they have things that are them that they just repeat over and over and over again. And you guys can even think about this in your your own business. Think about the last all hands or company meeting that you were on. Like what are those phrases specific to your company that were repeated? If you can find and share those, as a seller, again, it's just like a shortcut to say, "Hey, I get you. I understand. I'm aligned." And I'm going to kind of maybe bridge topics a little bit from priorities to projects, but When a priority then gets translated into a work plan with budget prioritized, a team behind it, that becomes a project. Most projects are named inside of a company. And so there'll be some type of code name, project name that you can tap into as well, and then build your messaging around.
1: Only thing I would add is make sure that you're speaking to the appropriate person, to the the appropriate level. I think that a big challenge when we're putting something together or whatever it may be, and we're sending it to someone that Call it above the line. Call it in the clouds. Someone that's up the C suite that essentially is going to sign off on this. That we need to make sure that it's written in a way that speaks to them, and not something that's boots on the ground. I think that's a really big, a really big chasm to kind of cross for sellers. Is we're still so familiar with kind of the nuances of the workflow, but we need to speak to the business outcome, and we need to make sure the language is of that. Otherwise, it just starts to lose its its sizzle.
0: So. I think that this is a great way to answer Daniel Fraley's question. He asked, how do you build urgency for a new to the world product? You know, other solutions exist, but our table stakes now, their solution is different to a different differentiated, excuse me, an additive, but unfamiliar. Like with Daniel, what it sounds like what I'm hearing you two is think outside of the solution here for a second and just think about like what priorities that that solution might align to. What problems does this solution fix? And you want to align with something. That's the key to selling things that people don't like, are more unfamiliar about is aligning those things to something they already care about. That is sales really in a nutshell though, right? Mm -hmm. That's what sales is. It doesn't matter if your product is new or old. How do you find out what the business cares about and the important players in the business and align your solution to that versus trying to get people into your world and caring about the solution? Nate, you could maybe provide some good commentary on that because you're you're kind of going through this with Fluent. Like, this is your business.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's what I do every day, every week. And what I found is, so for example, in our space, we're shifting the job description of a seller to enable a buyer to go sell internally by co-creating a written business case together. And it fundamentally changes even the way people think about the layout and architecture of their sales force and sales stages. Like some of our customers will rewrite job descriptions, right? So it's pretty—it's a pretty fundamental change for a lot of organizations, which is also scary. It feels new in many ways. And so what I'll often do is um, I'll hyperlink back to a decision that they already made and invested in. So for example, if somebody is using Gong, like we integrate with Gong, great tool. Hey, it seems like you feel like quality conversations drive revenue. If your sellers are having higher quality uh, conversations, that means more more closed one deals, right? They'd be like, yes, of course. Great. And then I'll ask, how are you thinking about the conversations that your champions are holding when your sellers can't be there? So we're on this topic. I'm linking back to something that they already believe quality conversations equals revenue. It's like, okay, great. Now I've asked a question to help them think about, Well, we're doing something new or different because this is another thing. Oh, interesting, Like, let's talk more about this. Now we're on the topic of the champion selling. And then I'll I'll add in another question that relates to process is, hey, if you look in your pipeline today, what percent of those deals have a documented business case that champion is using to sell, to script their conversation? And then they'll realize this is where we get back into a problem to say like, oh, wow, actually that's a massive gap Like we send over some case studies and some template decks, but like we're not really scripting out our champions conversations. It's like, okay, well, could this relate to anything that is actively happening in the business? Well, yeah, we had this new like CRO come in who's big on value-based messaging and they're talking value, value, value. It's like, okay, cool. Let's hook into that and let's talk about it. So it all starts, long answer, short thing. If you're doing something new, link it back to something old ask a couple questions to expose the gap or the difference. And then you can build based on the list that we're talking about in the webinar today.
0: Oh man, that's such a good pro tip. I dropped into the chat for you guys. I, I think this is a great tip, even if you're selling something that is not new. It's like you look at evidence that they have values that they're spending aligns with the thing that your thing also helps with.
1: That's, that's really good. Um, I mean, you're solving a problem, right? So even if, yep what you have is, is established, like maybe they don't have it. There's definitely a gap that you can fill. So again, that hyperlink, bring it back in, help them color in the the blanks, you know, fill in the blanks there. So let's kind of bring this together
0: uh, for a second. Nate, if you could comment real quick on projects and then I'll, Aaron, I'll have you talk about the problems piece of this, but we've talked about stakeholders so far, like knowing the right people we've talked about priorities how to kind of tease some of this out and the importance of aligning with the priorities. Nate, do you want to finish your thought on, like, what's the difference between a priority and a project? And when would you maybe want to find some of this stuff out and how might it dictate how you run the sales process?
2: Yeah, so a project is formalizing a priority by attaching to it. Usually there's type of like one work stream owner, a project team, a specific timeline with a budget that's dedicated. And so you bring all of that together. The goal is to make progress toward a specific outcome to further that priority in the business. And I'll give you kind of one like example. One, um, we were tapped into, uh, talk about our work. We were tapped into a project inside of one organization that was called the Next Gen Go to Market. That was the project name, Next Gen. And so they had a standing uh, project team call, like a governance committee, every week, Wednesday afternoon, So for me to start working on this project with them in the sales process, they just added me to the recurring uh, calendar invite. And there's so much momentum when you can tap into a formalized work stream, everybody that I needed to meet, the formal authority, the timing, all of it was laid out inside of that project. So the last piece of your question is like, when do you want to find that out? Like as soon as possible, if that exists, um, because then you can move with that current that is already flowing inside of the business. And you can swim far faster.
0: Do you want to dig into that a little bit in this Charlotte Bax's question in the chat sort of relates to this? Like, let's talk about the nuance around the project.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: like, basically where I'm kind of going with that is how to, how to detect if the buyer even understands a project, like if you're selling really large, like enterprise or strat type of deals that I, I find that the buying process is more formalized at those companies. A lot of people here might be selling mid-market or they might call it enterprise. And it's like to companies under a thousand employees, let's say, and it's like, just not very formal yeah. in terms of project. And so what are you looking for? There's like a budget component of this. How do you know if they're the project owner? Is that something you should find out? Um huh? What are red flags, maybe? like When we think about the project piece, what are the components of that?
2: Yeah, there are different phases or stages to furthering the project. So for example, Charlotte, there may not be a budget associated because they're exploring a new space. It's early stage into Matt's comment. like They haven't landed on the right approach. Is this a build by partner decision at the highest level? That's going to wildly swing or affect the budget. And they may be in a planning stage. So you can still have a formalized project without that there, um, and it'll just tell you maybe how mature, how new, and how far along the project team is. So kind of the the red flag or the red um, the thing to watch out for is if the project team isn't using the same framing and language to describe the problem that they're looking to address. That is like a very foundational thing, and it sounds very elementary. Like what are we actually solving for here? And that can be months of a project team's work to actually nail down. And I can go into some examples of that. Um, like Carrie, okay, you know what I'm talking about. You just ran into this. So if if there's no like charter for the team because they're not clear on why they're together and what they're solving for, that's not, I would say you're still in the project development phase. There's not something really solid there. And then lastly, to your point, if you're you know more mid-market or even down market in like a commercial segment, Think of this more as like a mental construct. Are people in the company aligned and on the same page of what they're solving and what they're trying to get out of it? And maybe an approach that they would take, you can just think of it as like, how far in this decision-making process are they together, even though they may not name it and have a regular operating cadence to it.
0: That's also an opportunity for you to help them shape the project too, right? I mean, I want to be early on stuff like that especially if the project involves finding a sales trainer where they're going to talk to, they're going to vet out like 10 other sales trainers. Like I can give them the buying criteria because especially if you know how you how you stack up. Um, so we got stakeholders, priorities, projects. Let's talk about problems, Aaron. And I think this kind of gives everyone the glue for everything that we can start answering more questions. Let's talk about like what a problem is and what it isn't, because I think problem gets confused with, like pain, like, oh, like if we're looking at ORM as an example, like, oh, cold calling is just like, it's so hard to get a conversation. And that's not really a business problem right? in and of itself there, at least in the language that I used to describe it. So how do you think about the, the problem component of this?
1: Yeah, I think it's just the more that you know, um, because I think everyone's initial reply is going to be something very surface level. But the whole point in, in kind of taking the conversation and leaning into the conversation is having a genuine interest and assumption that you can help. So if they if they lay something up to you like that, I mean, we want to understand more. I mean, that's interesting. It sounds like, you know, cold calling is a bit of a pain point there. It's, it's hard to get buy-in from your reps. We know how valuable that is. But I mean, how is that preventing you from getting wherever you want to go? We always want to try and ask more questions than just continue the conversation because we can't get anywhere with that. That's really just something very surface level. We can't tie that to the business. There's no value there. There's nothing high level that we can, I mean, ultimately take this from us working as if this is a hobby, hey, this was fun, see you later, to, hey, let's continue to partner to resolve a larger issue that, that'll that help move the needle for the organization. So asking why, being genuinely curious and see how far we can take that. And so you fully understand, you know, dollars and cents to this, or there's, some, there's a, always a larger component to that surface level reply.
0: Does an example come to mind for you, Aaron, if you're thinking about just deals that you've worked, if you were to give an example of like, hey, here's like surface level pain that they brought to me. And here's how we kind of, I call it chunking up, like kind of yeah. chunked up
1: to a, a business problem yeah i mean we could play off of that one too because especially if i'm if i'm coming in high they're always assuming that activity is taking place because they know how important it is it's just part of the job requirement it's you know they signed on to do this and it's like well okay well if they should be doing this we don't know it's well i mean what are you hoping that they would be able to do if they're not doing this okay so they're doing they're doing x but you're seeing y how, how do you think that's affecting the business if we're not getting there? If you don't mind me asking, always try and soften it with something else. So it's not just too direct and it stays conversational, but you're basically just peel back the onion. I I'm not, didn't give you a direct one, but that's basically the way I would try yeah. and navigate that is, I mean, tell me a little bit more. It sounds like you thought this was taking place, but in reality, this is, I mean, if, if they were able to accomplish this, how much more do you think that would improve what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, you're trying to get
0: them further. You're trying to get them to quantify, essentially, I exactly. understand. So, so like I mentioned, a lot of people come to you at, at Orem with, hey, our reps don't make enough cold calls, or we're not landing enough meetings. You know, pipeline, like we need to self-source more pipeline with our account executives, et cetera. Like something along those lines. And if I'm following your talk track here, it's, well, why is that important? Like, what are you hoping that they will do? And And, and most importantly, like, because you're, your AEs aren't self-sourcing 30% of pipeline right now. Like what does that mean to the business? How does that impact your revenue Mm -hmm. goals? Like
1: you're really getting like high level.
0: Right, because I mean,
1: you, you can take it that direction too, but I mean, we can go with everyone probably in the chat is very familiar with this. Connect rates are challenging right now. And it's always, maybe the data isn't good enough or I try, but nothing takes place. So there's always that, there's always that wall preventing us from getting to where we wanna go. And it's like, I mean, I totally get it. I'm hearing that a lot right now, but conversations lead to everything. So, I mean, it sounds like your reps are doing, you know, 50 calls, and let's say in the, in two days they're going to be talking to maybe three people if we're lucky. And you know, from from what I hear from others, the real challenge is they're never going to be prepared for that because they're not talking to enough people. And then more, mostly they're surprised that someone actually picked up, and they're having to deal with their pitch inflection. If we were able to get them into, you know, let's say two, three times more conversations, we're able to provide or have them deliver more value sooner, have them be more confident. How do you think that that would change the team, not just the morale, but their ability to, to deliver pipeline? Like, how, how would that change things for you? them the ball, let them start to feel through that, start to envision that and deliver it back to you. And then we can take that a step further. I mean, totally get it. You know, like, more conversations, more pipeline, better team, more confident, more morale. Like I, I totally get it. But let's say that, you know, we were, they were getting those conversations. We had more pipeline, more qualified pipeline. How much more, right? How much more does that improve things? So we go from one layer to the next, and then we start to get into hopefully quantifying something. And it sounds like we actually have something here, right? they are I mean, they're envisioning this. This is a legitimate problem. There's some value to this, and they're stating that to you openly. And then we want to try to tie that into a potential next step, something to prove that out, something to give them some ROI, and then hitting that next milestone of maybe using Fluent and, and putting a business, you know, a one pager together and kicking that out. But I, I think you know, depending on the conversation that you're having, depending on how we open up the discussion, it's priority one, two, or three, usually, or problem one, two, three, that they're trying to solve, trying to tailor that. But it's it's like a game of of catch. You want to tee something up. You're genuinely curious, toss them the ball, let them talk, let them open up, and then take that right back and then deliver another question. I I think that we don't ask enough questions. We don't listen enough. And the more that we listen, the more that we're actually able to help and know specifically what, what that diagnosis should be.
2: I'll, I'll connect lines between where we started around stakeholders and then Aaron, what you're saying around different ways in which one problem can show up across the business. Every metric is linked to others. There's a relationship between different numbers. So for example, if connect rate is down, connect rate is suffering, let's say um, meeting sourced by the SDR has fallen off. Well, in order to hit meetings booked and pipe targets, what else is happening in the business? How is that For example, and this is hypothetical, but how is that affecting ad spend? Like we just doubled our budget to hit that meeting book goal. Connect rates are down. We got to go to another channel. Like we have totally blown the ad budget for the year inside of the first half. And so now that's inflating our costs. Like marketing really isn't happy about this because now our cost to acquire that meeting looks horrible. And by the way, the people who are like responding to those ads, maybe those are more commercial segment, more transactional deals. The whole point of calling and connecting was because we're trying to move up into more strategic accounts and we, we need to be more targeted. So now we have sales directors who are saying, hey, like, yeah, you're delivering meetings, but these aren't the people that we need to be talking to because the ACV is dropping off. Now we're in an entirely different metric. If we're not connecting with the right type of buyer in the right segment, what's that doing to deal size, right? So there's this like web of, uh, of relationships between metrics which gets you back to different stakeholders. Different people own different numbers in the business and there's a relationship between all of them. And so that list that Jason, you've been showing, like they're not four separate things. All of those things are gonna flow together in, in bringing a deal together.
0: Let's expand on that a bit. So, cause the glue here behind everything is the quantification aspect. Like getting something at least with larger deals, if you want to sell larger deals, there's got to be some sort of quantified impact. Um, Let's talk about the quantification and metrics piece. So who was it? Yeah, Rita in the chat said, quantifying the problem has been a big challenge for me and my team. So Nate, what would you have to say around the quantification aspect and the metrics? Like, where's a good place to start with that?
2: yeah, and I, I hear this oftentimes in selling into, um, so for example, before uh, before building fluent, we were selling into fortune 500 innovation teams. And innovation is kind of a hard thing to measure. It's by definition something new, a little less tangible. Like how do you measure something like culture, right? Maybe you sell into HR. How do you measure that? Um, the I guarantee everybody that you work with is evaluated in some way. At the end of the year, there's a mechanism to look at somebody's performance and say, you did a good job or you did a bad job. Year didn't go as planned or it did. And the question is how are they differentiating between a good year and a bad year? And usually some marker. And once you find that delineation between the two, good year, bad year, what are you looking at? What What are you measuring there to know? Then you can begin to show up and put a number on it. So for example, if it's culture, do people feel valued? Well, that'll probably show up in something like an employee retention rate. Um, A retention rate, now you get, you kick in the relationship. Retention rate is going to uh, um, uh, impact, for example, number of job openings, which is going to impact recruiting or talent costs, ramping costs, timeline, right? So um, what we could say, uh, good year, bad year, what are the numbers or the difference? And then you can kind of walk it out from there. So Rita, that's how I would start to approach it, but- um, with, yeah, Jason, great, great questions in there as well. Yeah, let us, uh,
0: let us know, Rita, what you sell and who you sell to. And it, we might actually be able to help you in a more tangible way. But most things can be quantified. Mm-hmm. And, and if they're not, what I would really want to understand is how much time should I spend on this deal if we don't even have like an outcome that we're trying to produce from this? Like, how much time should I invest in that? If there's not a clear outcome,
1: what are we doing? You know? It's um, a priority problem, right? So, I yep. mean, if they, haven't, if they haven't even looked at what this may be, this is probably someone that's just looking for a little information. It might be a bit of a time sink.
0: So, she says we sell EHS and ESG software.
2: So yeah.
0: Not free to-
2: um, so, it, uh, Rita... And Rachel, awesome. Um, Rachel, I was talking with Kyle last week, by the way. Uh, you'll probably have an email coming to you soon. This is, this is hilarious. So in the um, uh, EHS, um, Environmental Health and Safety for folks, by the way, the idea is they're thinking about things like, for example, incidence rates, um, days of work missed, like how are those changing? If you're trying to build a culture of safety, a culture of safety could be measured by how many reportable incidences occurred over the last month or week or whatever the time frame might be.
0: And I think part of this too, is you might be dealing with an inexperienced buyer that doesn't quite know how to quantify the potential ROI of something like that. So you can like educate them on how other customers, like how they measure it. How do they measure the impact of the solution? What metrics do they want to metrics or KPIs do they want to improve with your solution? You can really get in like a consultative seller, you know, type of mode. Um, Hopefully that helps you, Rita. Uh, Let's get Stephen's question, Stephen or Stefan. It's, I have way too many deals that get lost to no response. They end up sitting in my pipeline for too long. And I have sometimes have trouble letting them go advice. I think there's two parts to that question actually is like, you know, why are deals getting to a stage where there's no response? And then the, the second part is, how do you know when to just let go of a deal? Let's start with the last part of that question. How do you guys think about that part, knowing when to walk away
1: from a deal?
2: I um, want to get better at this, so I'm, I'm going to kick that one over to Aaron.
1: Yeah, I think you just got to be honest with yourself. It's something that I think as sellers, we, we assume that everything has value. So you, you just definitely have to be honest. Is there momentum? Do we have a next step? Was there, was there like, kind of getting back to the, the beginning of the conversation, or are we tied to a problem? Do, have we identified that? Um, because if if they're just ghosting, we probably need to close that out, keep the forecast clean. And then we need to just get back into something with some traction. We want everything to work, but the reality is that, I mean, if we don't, if we don't have clear sights, then we never really know where to spend our effort. Yeah. So you, you, just cut, right cut him, cut, you just cut them, you know, cut the line, let them go. We're going to find them again.
0: Yeah. It's the, one of the best lessons I've ever been taught in sales is you want your sales pipeline to look more like a martini glass and less like a funnel, you know, where it's like, you want to figure out like which deals to go like really deep on and just dis- like disqualify early and often and go really deep, you know, on deals. Um, the second part of that question though, Nate, is if someone's getting ghosted after a first or second call in the sales process, what are some of the reasons, because it could be a lot of reasons, but what are some of the common reasons that that might be and how to, how to prevent that.
2: I would, I would say maybe like if we flip the question around and we say, well, what's true about the deals where you don't get coasted and you're just like cruising fastest yeah. moving deals in your pipeline. What's the theme or the pattern what's happening in those deals. And then my guess is there's, you're getting ghosted because there's an absence of that thing. You could call it the, like the uh, term would be critical event. There's some, something perhaps happening inside of the buying organization, Um, At the start of the deal, that's creating a little internal burn that's hard for you as an external seller to like replicate if it doesn't already exist in the buying team. Maybe that would signal, hey, the way that we are building pipeline, the signals that we're looking for, that needs to change. So I'd, uh, I'd just start there to say, define what's missing in deals that you're ghosted by looking at the deals that are moving really quickly. Where's the pattern and the difference?
0: Yeah. Reverse engineer success is such a big one. Megan Arndt asks, I get a lot of prospects through a demo. They say that making the change for a system would improve their day-to-day, but then they just never make a decision. How can I get them across the finish line? I mean, if I was to take a quick stab at that, I mean, I think the stakeholder piece, you got to check, do, do we have the right people involved in the deal? Are we aligned with an important business priority? Have we quantified a problem or some sort of cost of inaction? You know, like usually it's one of those things I find where there isn't a problem and we haven't really quantified the cost of inaction at all. And there just really is no urgency. That's how you can find urgency in a deal. I don't know if you can like really build and manufacture urgency, but you can find it
1: in a deal when you can find cost of inaction. Uh, What are your guys' thoughts for Megan? I think another thing too is to help them understand because I think that status quo is your biggest competition. Um I don't I don't think it's it's the the space around you. I think it's them trying to change what they're doing today. So being able to help them understand, again, in partnership, how you're going to ease that for them. Cause there's definitely pain and change. And a lot of the times, hey, this looks incredible. Uh, I love this. We're totally, you know, like like she was saying, this would change our day-to-day. But we 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 lacked understanding in like what were I mean what were we not aware of what were they afraid of what did they feel to be too much of a lift of a strain and I think what we can do is we can help them understand how transitioning to this not only what will provide that value that impact but hey this is how we're going to make this a lot easier for you it's not on you it's on us this is how we partner this is how we can um how we can simplify things for you yeah gotta make it easy for them to buy like friction in your buying process is probably, it's gonna be one of the biggest roadblocks.
0: Yeah, and I think a big part of that, I just dropped in, you know, as we wrap up, you guys make sure to connect with Aaron and Nate and myself on uh, on LinkedIn and, and check out Oram. Let's blow up their LinkedIn profiles here. Um, that kind of brings the conversation full circle around like reducing friction in a deal. When everything you do is aligned to the most important business priorities that they have as an organization, and the problems getting in the way of that, and you're talking to the right people, like it reduces so much friction in that deal when everything is just like very focused in that area. Um, That's all we got for you guys today. Nate, Aaron, appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, I think the big four, again, priorities, projects, problems, stakeholders, and really appreciate the engagement from everyone here in the chat. Go out there and make some sales. (laughs) Um, That's all we got for you guys today. Have a good one. Thank you everyone. everybody. We will see you guys later.